Happy Sabbath, church. It's good to see you all here. Well, um, I'm glad to see that uh, little by little we have more and more people coming to church. You know, I'm trying to think back to about May or June, somewhere around there when we, you know, closed and then when we first opened right up. Uh, we were just some bare bones, and so now we've got more and more people coming. Um, I'm very happy to see uh, Maria and David here today as well, too, and uh, guests who are here. Um, good to see you, Miss uh, April, and uh, and we have a, a new guest as well, too, that's been coming. Um, Vicky, that's right. Yeah, so Welcome. Welcome, and welcome everybody who's listening by phone. I know there's some of you who are listening by phone. Uh, as Paul says, our, our spirit is together. We're all in one spirit together. So I, I am aware of the time, okay? I know some people are kind of thinking, okay, this guy can, gets a little long sometimes. But I'm, I'm really going to uh, consider that today as I speak, Okay. Don't water down the message, Elaine's saying. I'll be here till 1 o'clock. That's fine with me, Pastor. So, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 uh, and verses 4 through 10 is actually going to be our uh, scripture for today. And uh, I don't know if you all noticed, but I was in Ephesians last time I was here as well, too. I'm going to try to go through Ephesians here, and it's impossible with only being here once a month to do an in-depth series, but... Uh, I would like to take a look. This is an amazing book. If nobody's ever gone through it and really soaked in all that Paul is telling us that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, So we're continuing in Ephesians. And it's hard to to decide what exactly to speak on from each chapter. But we're going to look at verses 4 through 10 here today. And uh, I'm just going to kind of summarize and really try not to be too long today. Uh, as I speak, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And it reads, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceedingly riches the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of god and not of works lest anyone should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray today, Lord, that uh, as we look at this passage uh, briefly and what it means for us today, I just ask that you would present this to us, God, in a fresh new way. Uh, I just pray that your sheep would be fed today, God, that Jesus Christ would be lifted up, God, in this discourse, that your spirit would be present, moving and working, And, uh, God, today, that your words would be spoken and believed in. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. 
Many of us are familiar with the great reformer Martin Luther. And as his story goes, he was uh, grew up in Germany and um, as he was studying in school his father wanted him to be a lawyer, but one day on his way home he got caught in a storm. And as lightning bolts were uh, flashing and banging all around him, he knew he was going to die. And so he became so afraid, he prayed to his patron saint, of course he's a Catholic, and he said that if if God would just save his life, he would become a monk. And so sure that he was going to die, he actually survived through this storm. And he kept his promise, he became a monk. And he began this long journey of trying to find his place in, in the presence of God. He, uh, as his story goes, he was very devout. He was very intelligent. But Martin Luther had this problem that many of his day had. He had a problem because he could not figure out how to get rid of the guilt that he felt every day. And so, uh, as a devout monk, and doing as good monks do, he often would punish himself to try to get rid of the sin. Uh, He would starve himself. He would sleep in the cold on, on a hard floor. He would do many, many things to try to get rid of the guilt that was just burdening, crushing his soul. He even took a trip to Rome, the great holy city, expecting to find some relief there. And as he was there in Rome and he saw the, uh, the corruption that was in the leadership in the church, as he saw the corruption that was in the government, as he saw all these things, he went home very disappointed as he went back to Germany. And he still had this great problem of guilt. And as he was studying the scriptures, as he became a teacher, yes, a teacher while he was still having this great problem, he started reading through the book of Romans. And he came across this text in the book of Romans that says that, it, that the just shall live by faith. You all know this text, I'm sure, very well. Many of us do. It's in Romans and chapter 1. And it reads here in verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus of Christ, for it is the power of God of salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And as he read this passage, and he tried to struggle and understand with how God can be both just and merciful at the same time. How can God justly take care of the punishment that belongs upon sin and sinners, and yet at the same time be merciful and gracious? He, he, was, he couldn't understand how the two were compatible. And as he read these passages in Scripture, his whole life changed and everything opened up to him. As he understood that the sinner is justified and saved by faith in the merits of Jesus Christ alone. And so as his testimony goes, he says, at last, this is quoting Martin Luther here, at last 
by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God. He goes on to say, Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. There a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. And from this experience that Martin Luther had, the Reformation was on. He went on to challenge everything that the church of his day taught. And he became the strongest and loudest voice in the Reformation, teaching that it is by Scripture and Scripture alone that we are to believe everything we believe about God and salvation and the church. And he began to preach and teach the grace of God and that salvation is not in the church, that the church does not save us, but God saves us. God saves us by His grace as we believe. And so this great truth opened up to Martin Luther and it, it revolutionized his life and it changed Europe altogether. No figure in the Middle Ages is more studied than Martin Luther. And it all came as he began to understand this very truth that we are reading about here today. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And now as we think about this text and and we read this text, we often think about our role in the salvation process. And indeed, that is important. We have to first understand that we are sinners before we recognize our need for a Savior. Isn't that right? I mean, the grace of God does us no good if we don't believe we need it, right? The grace of God is not applied to our lives if we come to God and we say to ourselves, well, God, thank you, but no thank you. Or, God, I'll, I'll, I'll work with you here a little bit, but I have to have a little part in this. No, it doesn't work that way. We have to come completely as complete beggars without anything to offer God and say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. We have to reflect on all of these things. Where am I at? What is my role? But when I, as I read the book of Ephesians, and I'm studying through the book of Ephesians, especially chapter 1 and 2 here, that's not actually Paul's primary focus, as important as that is. But what we often do as Seventh-day Adventists, we take this passage out of its context, and we use it to teach righteousness by faith, which you can do that with this passage. But Paul's primary uh, objective here is not to lift up what we do or our response, but is to lift up the goodness of God, the work of God, the miracle of God, and actually accomplishing this for the human race. 
It is something that is inconceivable to the human mind. How can this actually happen? Again, as Martin Luther asked, how can God be righteous? The Bible says it. Our sins put us into a place where we are condemned to eternal hell, like to eternal damnation, to to destruction. That's what our sins deserve, is, is death, is hell. It's clear in Scripture. So how can God both be just and and punish our sins, yet at the same time be merciful and gracious? And the answer is through Jesus Christ, through the work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants to lift up this truth, this reality of, of what God has done for the human race. That is his main objective That is his main goal. He wants to express the unmeasurable grace and mercy and love of God. These things cannot be measured, per se. You cannot say it is this high or this wide or this is the volume. It can only be shown in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because God has taken sinners who were spiritually dead and under the authority and power of Satan and he made them alive. He put them under the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And so this is what Paul is trying to show the Ephesians. This this is his main focus. Now, as I was uh, looking at these words here, what does it mean that we are saved by grace? What does it mean that we have been saved through faith? Well, as the Nelson Student Bible Dictionary puts it, that grace is favor or kindness shown without regard to the worth or merit to the one who receives it and in spite of what the person deserves. So, as I said before, what we actually deserve is not God's grace. I don't know if you realize that. We don't deserve the grace of God. We we don't deserve what God has done for us. Not even the least bit. That's, That's not what we do. What we deserve is what Jesus suffered on the cross. That is what we deserve. And so there has been this great switch that has taken place where what God has done is he has put on Jesus what we deserve and he has given us what Jesus deserves. And so this is why one thing that's really amazing to me is when you read the Bible and it talks about when Jesus died, when Paul talks about it, uh, when, when John or anybody else talks about it, the Bible never says that Jesus slept. Have you, have you ever noticed that in the New Testament? When Jesus died. What I mean by that in the Old Testament or other places you see where when people die, it says they sleep because it's a, sli- it's a sleep. That's the first death is asleep. But the second death is eternal. See, Jesus suffered the punishment of the second death when he was on the cross. He suffered that eternal death. And so when the Bible says that Jesus resurrected from the dead, he didn't resurrect from the dead like uh, Lazarus was resurrected 
or or he didn't resurrect like how uh, um, the little girl was resurrected. Some of these other people were resurrected from the first death. No, Jesus was resurrected from the eternal second death that all of us deserve. That's the miracle of what actually happened. Jesus resurrected from the second death. And so God put on Jesus what we deserve and he has given to us what Jesus deserves. And imagine all of that is accessible to us by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Everything that Jesus deserves is ours by faith. We add nothing to the salvation equation. Now, faith itself is belief or confidence and a confident attitude toward God. It's saying, God, I totally and completely trust you, not myself. I don't trust myself for this this process. I don't trust that I can add anything to this to make it happen. God, all of my faith is in you. And that is not always an easy thing to do. We, in our nature, like Martin Luther, we want to do something, don't we? We want to, I just, you know, I punish myself a little bit. If, if, I, if I do this or I do that, it's hard for us to believe when the Bible says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's what the Bible teaches us. And when we understand that and we put our focus on God and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ, then our role in salvation, our role in redemption, our role in daily living, in the preparation for heaven, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. Only those who have genuinely confessed, yes, I am a sinner and I need a Savior, and I do believe in the power of Jesus to save, can truly understand what Paul is saying. And so, as Paul brings out here, that this brings transformation to those who receive this grace. In verse 10, we are his workmanship. Some versions actually use the word masterpiece. Think about that. We are masterpieces of the greatest artist in the universe. Have you ever thought about yourself that way? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, it is impossible for someone who truly believes to walk in disobedience. If a person is so compelled and they say, God, I trust what you're saying is right. I don't totally understand it. I, I sometimes don't feel like doing it. I don't want it. But I trust you, God. And if you really put, we really put our faith in God, then we will obey. It will happen. Because we believe that what God wants for us is good. That what God wants for us is right. That it is going to benefit us. And it will benefit other people around us as well. And ultimately, the greatest thing that we get to do when we obey is we get to glorify God 
with the way that we live. God will actually use us, as we were talking about before in our Sabbath school uh, earlier, that when people want to know or the universe, uh, the, the angels, the unfallen worlds, when they want to know the goodness and the character of God, the mercy of God, the power of God, that God is actually going to say, look at them. Look at what I have done for them and in them and through them. We are going to be the, the, the representatives for God for all eternity. God will say, look at them. Our good works lead other people to Jesus and shows them that God is real, that he is good, and that they can trust him also. We are not saved by faith plus good works, but by faith that works. James chapter 2 helps us understand that we cannot just say we believe, but we have to demonstrate that we believe. A true believer will be transformed and changed. They will look different and talk different and act different than they did before they were saved. They will give evidence of a miracle-working God. Now, in closing today, and I'm going to try, try to keep my time down low here, many of you, those of you who are on the board, you know this is one of my favorite quotations from Ellen White about the church. I love this quotation. And it talks about how really what Jesus is doing is he is completing the work that he began when he was here on earth. Jesus is not finished. He still has more work to do, but he does that work through the church, through us. He completes his work here on earth. And as he does that, it it helps people to understand in this great controversy between good and evil, again, the character of God. This quotation from Ellen White on uh, Acts of the Apostles, page 12, it says, Enfeebled and defective as it may appear. Now, church, does does sometimes a church look enfeebled and defective? Are there problems within the church? Are we perfect? No. Enfeebled and defective as it may appear, the church is the one object upon which God bestows, in a special sense, his supreme regard. And this is a sentence I love. It is the theater of his grace, in which he delights to reveal his power to transform hearts. Smile, everyone, you're on stage. People are watching us. Angels are watching us. And they're excited not to see what you can do, but what God can do through you. Amen? Amen. I want to challenge us today to look anew, afresh, at this truth that we see here in Scripture that helps us to understand the immeasurable grace of God, that accepting it by faith, we are transformed, we are saved. May God bless you, and happy Sabbath. Let's pray.
God in heaven, we worship you today, God. We um, ask that you would help us to see afresh and anew, God, your character, and that we would be filled with the joy and the love that you poured out to us through Jesus. May this overflow to the world around us, we pray today. I simply want to ask for your blessing upon each person that has come here today. Um, The rest of this Sabbath, help us to continue drawing near to you, God, and one another in fellowship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.